couple of weeks ago, I was at the Girard Elementary School Spring Fling. It was a PTA in, think, fall carnival, but in okay. the springtime, yeah. right? Yeah. Inflatables for the kids to play with, face painting, so candy fun. galore, yeah. silent auction to raise money for playground equipment or something, Wonderfulness. right? That kind of thing. And, and while we were there, Chloe, our youngest, her best friend in the whole world, um, was there. And so we got to hang out with their family a little bit. And, and they go to one of the other... Uh, churches here in town. And mm-hmm. so um, we began to talk about things. And as things often do when you have chats with the preacher, either you completely <laughs> avoid Jesus or you yes. dive completely in. Yes. One of the two. There's no middle no ground. No middle ground. Um, and, and we dove completely in. And one of the questions um, was, why are you a Methodist? Didn't you go to Baylor? Okay. Yeah. Valid <laughs> question. And, and the answer is yes. Um, but I went to the business school at Baylor where, you know, we weren't talking much theology along yeah. the way. Um, but that question has come up in any number of forms or fashions over uh, over the many years of pastoral ministry in Texas. I can't tell you how many times. Yeah. And and I used to give long-winded preacher answers to this question. <laughs> and I know that's no surprise to anybody. No. Um, the elevator speech is not a gift of mine. But on this question, I think I've got an elevator speech kind of answer. Uh, Because at the core of who we are as Wesleyans, as Methodists, is that we're the people of the and. We're the people uh, who live at that intersection of the evangelical church Mm -hmm. and the mainline church. And we live at this intersection of the personal gospel and the social gospel. We believe that God wants a deeply committed personal relationship with us in Jesus Christ that should change our lives. But but the outpouring of that personal transformation is social transformation. It leads to the change that happens in the broader community, right? Yeah. So our mission statement as the United Methodist Church is to make <laughs> disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's right. It's that both and kind of narrative. And, and as I was having this conversation, um, the... The father turned to me and said, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Now I understand because all of the people who I know who are here in Cleburne who go to your church are deeply concerned about the betterment of our schools, the betterment of our city, the betterment of our community. And that's grounded in their faith. It makes more sense now than it did before. And I think that's kind of who we are, not just locally, but who we are as a global Methodist body. Yeah. And even historically, I mean, I think there's things that we do in the Methodist church that if John Wesley was still around, he would have some choice words for us on. (laughs) But one of the things that I think he would be proud of this church for doing is taking on that banner of being the both and kind of people. Because we see that rooted deeply in John Wesley's own call, where, you know, he spent so much time just checking off this list of things for personal, you know, that because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But it wasn't even really transforming his personal life. It wasn't until he started to get into that kind of social transformation where it went beyond just a checklist, but a um, twofold, right? One is an encounter with the Moravians who mm. had a deep assurance, who had a deep belief in that personal faith and what that does. Also coming alongside of this deep need to say, why are people not coming to church? Mm. And realizing yeah. 
that so many of them just weren't truly welcomed in the church. So realizing that he needed to create a space um, in which anyone could come. So he did it for coal miners in the fields, right? And that was unheard of to preach of outdoors. And then he did it also by setting shop up in Bristol later, right? The um, the biggest slave port in England. And John Wesley during the 1700s was saying, this isn't right, right? I think at that point in his life, you can see where the personal and the social came together to became to become the both and. Well, he was a preacher in his day who was known for submitting himself to become more vile, right? You know, that, <laughs> yes. that, that phraseology in, in Methodist world is one that holds root, but it gets to this idea where as an Anglican priest, mm-hmm. Wesley's place in the system and the structure of his day, the place where he was supposed to be, yeah. air quotes, was in the cathedral. Yes. And he went to the street corner. Mm-hmm. He went to the prisons. Yep. He went to the fields. He went to the miners. He he went to all of the places where God's people were actively living life because this gospel thing was not something that just got lived out in the high and holy, beautiful architecture kind of places of England in his day, but in the world in a real way. And that kind of leads us right into the book of Acts before the beautiful architecture when there was just the muck and the mud and the street corners. Amen. Welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. And I'm Pastor Melissa. We are still missing non-Pastor Michael. We wish him the best and Jenny as well this week. As you will recall, we are in the season where we are walking our way through the book of Acts. It's an extension of Luke's gospel living where we live into and look into the formation of the early church, the way the Holy Spirit spread in and among them, and the signs and wonders that got uh, brought forth in their midst. If you're reading along with us, this week's uh, reading section that we're going to wrestle with is Acts chapter 4 through 8. And so we invite you, if you are where you can open your Bible right now to hit pause on the podcast, to open up that Bible, to read through. Um, If you want to make a note to read through Acts 4 to 8 later, we would welcome you to do that as well. Um, One little note, one of the joys of making the rules is you get to break the rules. That's right. And so today, last week, we were supposed to do 1 through 3, and we really didn't get to wrestle with chapter 3 much. Um, But we see, and I think a powerful way, this intersection of the personal gospel and the social gospel happening in chapters 3 and 4. So while we encourage you to read chapters 4 through 8, and we will touch in on the rest of 4 through 8 for today, our focus is going to be on Acts 3 and 4. So what's happening in chapter 3 as you see it? So as we get into chapter 3 here, we see Peter and John in in the late afternoon getting ready to go to the temple for their own time of prayer. Yeah, so we already see the personal 
um, transformation there, right? That they care about going to spend time in the temple. Absolutely. And as they are on their personal journey to the temple to for their time of prayer, their time of connection, and remember what Scripture tells us in that Acts 2.42 section, right? They daily committed themselves to this yes. act of personal transformation and prayer. As they're making their way in, they encounter a man who's been crippled since birth. And from what we know about the uh, early the life of the early church in the in the life in the first century, that man was likely an outcast, somebody who right. didn't have a place in society. And and scripture tells us he was being carried in to the temple. And and specifically not really to the temple, but people placed him at the temple gate. The beautiful gate. The yes. I the, love that. The beautiful gate. And 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 I don't know, I'm assuming that there's intended juxtaposition there, right? Yeah. Um, you're supposed to see the contrast at play. And and what he would normally do is sit at the gate, sit at the beautiful gate mm-hmm. and ask people for money as they were going in yeah. to the temple. So where do you think that shows up perhaps in our own lives of where we have those kinds of juxtapositions of the beautiful gate with something that perhaps we perceive is not beautiful? Mm, mm. Well, I think often in life we... We, we've talked about this with music before, the the blend between the sacred and the secular, right? We yeah. tend to assume that if something's labeled as Christian, it's good and God-honoring and holy. And if something's not labeled, then it's then it's just good for entertainment, right? Right. Where really at the core, there's some really powerful holy stuff yeah. within the music realms that are labeled secular, right? Yeah. You talk about Wesley going to those places that are right. more vile. Mm-hmm. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, right? John's yep. brother. Um, wrote these amazing hymns with deep theological power in them. Such good theology. And he set them to bar tunes so that because people <laughs> would know the tunes. Right? Their ears would listen. Yeah. yeah. They, they could hear and they could know. And in the way music works, right, that tune gets deeply embedded in you. Yeah. Right? So it sticks mm-hmm. with them. It becomes sticky theology yeah. in, in that moment. So that's one of the places where that kind of juxtaposition between yeah. um, what we name as beautiful and holy and good and what we might often name of as less than that yeah. might show up. What about... And so you have this moment, I think, that we're about to see happen where Peter and John are going to acknowledge the more beautiful thing mm, yeah. is happening in yeah. this, more so, so than a gate. Absolutely. More so than the beautiful gate uh, in a very powerful way. So we see this moment in verse 3 where Peter and John are about to enter. He begins to ask them for a gift. And Peter and John just stare at him. It's an interesting moment in Scripture. They, They stare at him, and then they said, look at us. So the man began to gaze at them, <laughs> expecting that he might actually give them something, right? Do you think of those, like, that made me think of those YouTube videos that were going around a few years ago and still do where people will, like, look into each other's eyes as, like, a psychology experiment because, you know, your empathy gets triggered when you... Oh, yeah, you, if you can look in somebody's yes. eyes for four minutes... Yes. you could. Those are powerful. Go find them. Yeah. I mean... You know, because most of the ones I remember, they they paired people who were supposed to dislike each other. Right. Right. People who would actively, like they had a Palestinian and a Jew, right? Yeah. And, and the Palestinian actively said, I, you know, I don't, yeah. I'm not down with Jewish folks. And the Jew said the same thing. And the, But after staring into each other's eyes for four straight minutes, yeah. right, they had 
that click moment that happened. Right. Your, yeah. your heartbeats sync up, like mm-hmm. even from across a room and your um, like, there's always that awkward laughter at first. And I almost sure. wonder if that's happening here. Like uh, what, what's going to, well, because of the level of intimacy that's involved yes. in that people, we get uncomfortable with that because you feel like somebody yeah. can stay, if they stare into your eyes long enough, they're going to see your soul. Yes. Right. And, and that makes us uncertain. We're mm-hmm. not quite ready to go there most of the time. And, and so they have this gazing moment where they're looking into each other's eyes. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. Gosh, I love that. Yeah. I love that because you you see so many things happening. One is... They're taking on the pattern of Jesus. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, we see Jesus do these kinds of healings all the time. And and in that, oftentimes, you know, when people ask something of Jesus, especially when they didn't know Jesus, they were looking for something more like money or food. Mm. And Jesus comes at them with healing, right? Complete yeah. That completely transforms your life. You're looking at a very base level need that you need to have, yes. but Jesus sees the deeper and heals the deeper. Yes. And and they provide the same. And they provide the same. Um, and so they offer that, or they offer something um, greater than mm. what the man is expecting. Um, and I think Jesus does that in our own lives constantly. When we go to Jesus, you know, in our prayer time, mm. sometimes asking yeah. with like our list, like, and it's genuine, right? There are people we care for. There are people who we intercess for. It, but we typically have our planned outcomes in our heads. Oh, sure. Well, we, we have the things we want God to do on our behalf. Right. Right. And oftentimes I find that when God really shows up in the answers of that, it's never in the way that my mind mm. um, encounters it. And even if it leads towards pain and grief of losing someone, there is a greater beauty that is being offered, whether it be through their life story or the legacy that they leave behind or um, in a different direction of life for people or things that I could have never dreamed of. Yeah, that that prayer is an invitation to transformation, yeah. not a, a place where we tell God how to do God's job, right? right? But where we submit ourselves yeah. to this moment. I, I love that and, you... Well, hold on. Before you keep going, because okay. you also have this moment where they even go through and name that Jesus, you know, the Nazarene, mm, right? And what yeah. good... Can come from Nazareth. beautiful mm. could come from Nazareth. Yeah. I, I, I love... And, and I think that this beautiful, deep interpretation is the correct one. But I, I have to confess that every time I read this, my first reading of uh-huh. it is Peter and John walking up to the temple. And, and this guy beginning to ask for a gift and them staring him down. And, and, and Peter saying, with a very different tone than we just used, <laughs> look at us. I don't yeah. have any money. Yeah. Right? But then you get the rest of the sentence. And, and it beca- moves from, I can't help you, buddy, to... You know what? I really can. But perhaps that is what happened, Mm. you know, because I think that's something that as we touch down in other places over the next four chapters, when we actually get to the four chapters we promised people today, we will, uh, that you see people who are steeped in scripture. 
Yeah. And when you're steeped in scripture, even when you get caught off guard and perhaps have a moment like, I can't, I can't do anything for you, you're going to realize that scripture says, no, you can. Mm, yeah, yeah. And in this moment, they do, right? Yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And I love that as the scripture continues, this guy didn't just get up, right? They grabbed him by the hand, raised him up, and, and then he jumps up. Mm-hmm. And begins to walk around. Yes, yeah. right. We're led to believe that that his ankles are part of the problem right. that has left him crippled. And and I've spent a lot of time playing basketball. <laughs> playing basketball on bad ankles Mm-mm. hurts. Yeah, you can have a tweaked knee and not hurt as bad as having a tweaked ankle, just because of all of the pressure from the lifting up and the landing and right. all of that. So for this guy to be jumping up and, and I mean, it just, it's just, it's a vivid way of expressing that, that, that captures me. And, and so we've seen already on this journey, Peter and John going to the temple for their very personal thing. Yes. And within just a few seconds before they can even get in the gate, mm-hmm. right? it moves to its first level of social transformation, Yes, right? Yeah. It goes from them and Jesus to them, Jesus, and their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so powerful because if you are only caught up in your own personal transformation, in your own personal holiness, then you miss this opportunity. Mm. Um, yeah. You miss the opportunity to get hands deep um, into the muck and mud of life with people um, than if you're willing to do the social transformation as well. Yeah. Well, and we never know. I think the social transformation, that allowing your life to be transformed by the gospel in such a way that you actively seek to transform the world, it's like throwing a rock on a still pond. Mm -hmm. It starts ripples. It does. And you don't always know what the impact of the ripples will be, but the ripples happen, right? And one rock can cause a ripple for a long time. So we see in the scripture this exact thing happening. Right after the man jumps up and begins to walk around, he entered the temple with Peter and John, Mm -hmm. right? And as he walks in to the temple... I love that he's walking, leaping, and praising God all at the same time. I see like an uh. old like cartoon kind of play out in my mind when this is happening. If you have like your two main characters walking in normally, and then there's the like kind of extra character that's just mm. bouncing off the walls in the background. I, I just see visions. Maybe it's because I have a four-year-old. I see visions of, <laughs> of parents walking into church with the kid who's just going nuts because they're excited to yeah. be there. Um, or they're hopped up on sugar, one of the two. One of the but, two, or both. Yeah, but but that moment, that vivid picture is present here, right, uh, of Peter and John walking in, and this guy who had been hurt and crippled is now healed. And he is not only, he's entering the temple mm-hmm. because he's now welcome, Yeah, right? He's now accepted, and he's pumped about it. And as he does, all the people walking, all the people in the temple see him. They see him walking. They see him leaping. They see him praising God. And then the ripple gets a little wider, right? That move from personal to social goes from Peter and John and Jesus to Peter, John, Jesus, and the man who was healed to now extending 
to all the people who see and bear witness to the transformation that has happened to this man's life because they recognize him as the same one who used to sit at the temple's gate, the beautiful gate, (laughs) asking for money, right? And they are filled with amazement. This is a moment of awe and wonder for them. It is, is one where they go, holy Moses, or maybe even holy Jesus. Maybe. Maybe. Because they are filled with surprise and amazement at what happened to him. So we're not going around, you know, lifting people off of mats at beautiful gates and helping them to walk. But what are the kinds of things that we are called to do, to do Mm. that same kind of action as the church that doesn't just, you know, care um, for our own personal, but that does start that ripple effect of the social transformation as well, right? Both and. Yeah. So I believe that one of the things I believe deeply embodies this in the life of our church is our adoptive school partnership, right? Um, And we mentor kids, we tutor kids, we provide snack sacks, which are backpacks of of food for the weekend. And and each one of those in their own way is one of these ripple effect kind of moments where the personal transformation becomes social, right? Um, I can't tell you how deeply I was affected. Um, The first time I read the statistics, I know Mm-hmm. Being affected by statistics is scary, but it just says I'm a but nerd. But it can. Um, on, the, on the impact of food insecurity yeah. on young people. Yeah. Right? And all the ripples that has yeah. in that person's life, in that child's life. In their family, in their education. In, yeah. There, there are studies that show if you do not, if you're food insecure over the weekend, right? If you are not appropriately nourished as a child over the weekend, it can take you two full school meals before you're able to really physiologically focus well, yeah, right? And, and so we've got kids going to school who didn't eat enough over the weekend, who are missing potentially up to 20% of their education because, they, yeah, they get bre- free breakfast at school and free lunch at school, but it's the middle of the afternoon. They're getting ready to go home by the mm-hmm. time the, the body processes that food enough in a way to help it kick in and help them focus. And so when we ask questions about generational systemic poverty and, and why can't these people pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and think about trying to live into the person and the life that you are living into now with 20% of the education missing from the time you were five yeah. years old, mm-hmm. right? Right. You're going to be behind. And that has to compound. Yeah. Yeah. As Absolutely. you, yeah. Because then you're missing stuff that's foundational to understand and other stuff and, and it spirals. Yeah. And so when you talk about when we do snack sack ministry, when we fill these gallon-sized Ziploc bags with three breakfasts, three lunches, three dinners, and snacks for these kids on the weekend, we are not just making sure they have food for this weekend. We're investing in their future. Yeah. We are being a part of the transformation of their world. That's part of the reason why we as as First Methodists in Cleburne have a mended the United Methodist mission statement Mm -hmm. to make it our own uh, by adding one life at a time because we believe this ripple effect happens one life at a time. Sometimes when we think we have to transform the whole world all in one big chunk, it feels too big. It feels like too much, but you know what? How can can I change that statistic? I can't. You can't, but for this young person in this community, you can. Yeah. I wonder, no pastor answers, just a... A question for the listeners. I wonder what the next step of social transformation will be. Mm. But 
as we continue on in the story, we see that those two things collide, right? Because they were set out to go to the temple and they did arrive, right? They did. And there's... They arrived in grand fashion. Yes. Yes. And we see this moment where the man continues to cling to them, to Peter and to John, the man who's been healed, and they are swarmed. Have y'all ever seen... uh, when somebody famous walks into a room or somebody you know of import walks into a space, maybe you haven't seen it personally, but you've seen it on TV where the, just this yes. hoarding of people happens, yes. right? It's like yeah. there's a magnet that attracts everybody mm-hmm. along the way. It, it's like what happens to me whenever I go out to the lake on a summer night. All the mosquitoes are just <laughs> attracted to me. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. I like to say it's because I'm sweet, but April tells me I'm full yeah. of it. Um, <laughs> I think April might. There, there's wisdom. Beyond there's wisdom. There's wisdom. But we have this magnetic moment happening, right, mm-hmm. where people are drawn to Peter and John, and and Peter begins to address the people, right? Yeah. And I love his first questions. Why are you amazed at this? Why are you mm-hmm. amazed at this? Like, haven't y'all been paying attention to this Jesus Have movement you, for a while? Yes. Don't you know that this is kind of our thing? Yes, this is just what we do. This is what we do. Um, why are you staring us at us as if we made him walk by our own power or piety? And that's what I love too, right? Because I think sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's just me that's guilty of it, but sometimes mm-hmm. when I do like a, a good deed, I go tutor for the week. Yeah, a little pat on the back or a little like, uh, I'm going to post this and see how many likes it garners, right? Whereas um, this is genuinely not meant for there. Um, yeah. th- this is just life. Yeah. This is just the way that we live. Um, no, no thanks needed, right? Because the thanks doesn't, they understand that the thanks and the likes and um, the clicking, the thumbs up buttons right. aren't for them. The glory is not for them, but for God. Yes. Well, we see that even the very beginning, right? They heal him in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, right? So it's mm-hmm. not just be healed and walk, but there is this deflection of both yeah. the power and the glory kind of all in that moment as long there. And I love that that Peter and, and John, and, and maybe he was just a preacher man. Uh, you maybe. Know, uh, April will uh, periodically say, you know, you're never short for having a sermon ready. Like, well, <laughs> that may be true. I'm just looking for an opportunity. Um, <laughs> just waiting. Just waiting. And sometimes her poor mother is the recipient, whether she likes it or not. Um, <laughs> that's all right. When you got a preacher in the family, that's life. But they launch into this, this moment of teaching, right? Yeah. This moment of preaching, of proclamation. And... Um, and, and they don't really pull too many punches, do they? No, they don't. They name it as it is. Yeah. Um, and, and in naming it as it is, they call people not to stay where they are, but to involve themselves in life transformation, right? Verse 19, change your hearts and lives, turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And then the Lord will provide a season of relief and distress from the distress of this age. It's this call to life change shows up in this moment, right? Yeah. And we see that. 
mm-hmm. continuing through chapters four through eight. Yeah. That that this was just the way the church was and operated. That obviously we're gonna go in to take care of our own spiritual lives right. and to learn and to garner something new. But we're also going to care for the people along the way. Mm. Yeah, and in and, and that combination was both faithful and fruitful. Yes. It was powerful. Yeah. Getting into chapter four, right, where we right. said we were supposed to start today. That's right. Uh, we see this moment where Peter and John are accosted mm-hmm. and eventually arrested yep. by the temple leadership, right? But as they are doing that, many of that gathered crowd who had borne witness to the healing of the crippled man, who had heard the witness of Peter and John, became believers themselves, yep. be, began to trust for themselves. And as the scripture says, that number, their number grew to about 5,000 that day. Huh. Simple things. Simple. Simple. There is this, this powerful expression of the personal becoming social. What started as an act of religious faithfulness mm-hmm. from two guys yep. expanded and expanded. That ripple effect went wider and wider and wider and impacted as many as 5,000. And it sounds like in just like an hour or two. <laughs> I mean, you just know, in it's a, a quick deal. That's right. And, and so I think we see this spirit over and over again throughout the scriptures. Because, you know, I, I joke about being willing to drop a sermon whenever I want to. The truth is I drop sermons on my like 10 favorite scripture texts. Whatever I want. Does that make sense? Yes, um, always. Yes. And, and you know, one of the challenges with the type of preaching that we do around here with series and things, one of the things that we have to be very mindful of is that we don't just fall into the rut of what... Preaching our top tens. Preaching your top tens. Yeah, your canon within the canon, yeah. right? Your, your Bible within the Bible. That's right. Um, because those speak most deeply to your soul and, you know, you know you can knock it out of the park or whatever it is, right? Um but I think what we see from the early apostles is a steeping in the story of Jesus, in the scriptures that make up our Old Testament, mm-hmm. in a way that equips them and empowers them to be ready to offer a word at any time, not just on their top five things, yeah, right? Yeah. But just at any time along the way. And again, we see that as the pattern of Christ. Christ was so steeped in the scriptures. He was raised on the Jewish scriptures. And and so it was obvious to be able to speak life into the midst of them. And here we see the early church doing that. But speaking of, you know, not probably on your top 10, maybe not even on your top 40, is this a good time to just touch down briefly um, in chapter five with the classic <laughs> story of Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, you know, it is probably doesn't make uh, my top 40 list. I tend to be a little more warm and fuzzy <laughs> than that. And this one's a little more, uh, you know, not hellfire and brimstone, but there's definitely a gavel involved in the preaching of this one from a pulpit, right? You got to, yes. uh, there's some pounding on the pulpit with this one. 
For those of you who, who don't know the story of an Ananias and Sapphira, we, we see these um, followers in the way of the apostles, these early people in the life of the early church who, who at one level, it's, it seems, tried yeah. to live into some of the, the DNA of that early church, right, where they shared everything in common mm-hmm. and they were in this thing together in a deep way. Yeah. But instead, held something back, right? Acts chapter five. Here we see this moment where they sell a piece of property, mm-hmm. and it comes right after Barnabas has sold a piece of property, right, and gave all of the money and placed it under the authority of the apostles, right? Barnabas right. is held up as the shining example of how they live their life together, and then right after it we have the anti-heroes in Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> um, and, and we see this moment where they sell property too, but with shared knowledge together, they withhold some of the proceeds from the sale. But they brought the rest. Mm-hmm. And as they brought the rest, Peter asks, right, Ananias, how is it that Satan has influenced you to lie to the Holy Spirit? What a question. Oh, yeah, man. Could you imagine if one of us, like, went up to someone on (laughs) Sunday morning? (laughs) (laughs) We might have some people uh, drop Uh, dead. (laughs) You need need to come get this guy. Um, Yeah, that that would be followed by a phone call. That's Um, right. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a heck of a question. It is. Um to lie to the Holy Spirit by withholding some of the proceeds from the sale of your land. Wasn't that property yours to keep? After you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with what you wanted? What made you think of such a thing? You haven't lied to other people, but to God. And isn't that I mean, we have such a template here for choice mm. and free will. Yeah. That this was all this was your property. You know, we're yeah. not forcing you to get this was your choice, but the the greater thing that you withheld, right? Yeah. Wasn't that um, if you'd given 80% and told us you were given 80% yeah. and told us you, I mean right. and, and been straight with God about that. Yeah. It's different than saying, yeah, here it is, all right. of it. Yeah. But, and I think we see that even, you know, maybe not as drastically in our life of dropping dead. Yeah, because like verse five right next says, and when Ananias, Ananias heard these words, he dropped dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then we see the pattern repeat with his wife. Right. Um, but when we withhold things from God, mm. when we withhold things that we say we're doing or giving up, mm. um, the greater harm isn't um, to yourself. Um, it initially, right? Because you can just live your life and not have personal or social transformation or holiness or any of that, right? But it's that relationship mm. between you and God that gets damaged. Yeah. Um, and of course, God's going to offer grace time and time again in the midst of it. But there are some real consequences. Um, and the consequences that I think we see is that when we withhold something from God, um, it tends to be something that perhaps is more of a, a sin in our own mm. personal life, that that sin is going to win out time and time again. 
Well, I can't help but think of it in, in a similar way. When we talk about this personal connection and relationship with God, it, it can work in many of the same ways as our other relationships. And when we withhold something from somebody we care about, yeah, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's it's a child, right? Where where we have promised to do one thing, but we actively don't do it, and we kind of hold it in and keep it to ourselves. In time, that begins to eat away at our soul. Yeah, the guilt of it, the pain of it, the shame of it, right? And it begins to eat away, whether we could consciously name it or not, at the relationship that exists with the person we're withholding it from. Yes. Right. And so, yeah, no, we're likely not dropping dead at the pronouncement <laughs> of our brokenness, mm-hmm. right, that we see with Ananias and Sapphira. But I think it does illuminate that truth that exists in our human relationships and also our relationship with God. That, you know, that your mama told you when you were three, that honesty was the best policy is still still, still true. Still holding oh. true. Mama knew something back in the day. But I love that, you know, after this story, you get into the, you go back to the Jerusalem council and the temple mm. authorities and that they're just fed up with what's happening. And so they, they begin to throw them into uh, prison, um, but then an angel comes along, right? And lets yeah. them out and they go back to the temple where they initially meant to go and spend time, but were held from doing that. And I love that in that pattern, you see the pattern that we've seen play out over history, right? That that the early church pattern is a pattern that has been a powerful movement for centuries, even to the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. taking on that even when they were sent to prison, when they were released, you would find them again on the buses, again sitting in um, in the spaces that they were not welcome. Yeah, it is one of these things where in every movement of history in life, the church has power when they were able to not just know the scriptures with our minds, yeah, but know them with the totality of ourselves, be deeply embedded in them so that the way we see the world is transformed by them, right? Yeah. I, we, we shared a seminary professor back we in the did. day. Um, Jamie Clark Souls at Perkins, and she is a gift to humanity. Um, and also JCS. JCS, there you go. Uh, one of the things that she instilled in us as young seminarians, and I'm assuming she instilled in y'all's class oh, yeah. as well, that the power of God of the gospel find its finds its fullness when we don't read the scriptures and we don't know the scriptures, but when we live in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So that we begin to see the world through the lens. Of Holy Scripture. Yeah. And I think on the rest of these chapters, as you read them after this podcast is over, as you're reflecting back on the time you've spent in these chapters, these four chapters of the book of Acts, you see that pattern playing out in the early church Mm -hmm. time and time again in the way that opposition comes, in the way that conversations happen, the way that they heal people is that the way they respond is one that is clearly influenced by being steeped in the text to where their very life can't help but see and live and breathe in response to these texts.
thank you for joining us today on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. And I'm Pastor Melissa. We appreciate you gathering with us today. We'd love for you to rate us, review us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, send us your questions, your comments, your smart remarks, whatever (laughs) tips for improvement you've got in this thing. We are in this thing together. We are invested in this process of transformation in our own lives, praying that it might and spill out into our broader world. And now that you have gathered with us, here's your invitation to grow. On this day when we celebrate the personal and social transformation that God brings in and through us, we challenge ourselves to see the world through the lens of Scripture, to allow ourselves to be so deeply embedded in it that we cannot help but partner with God change our own lives and our own souls, but the world around us as well. And now go. Receive this benediction, this blessing that's meant to be lived out as you go through your week. May you go knowing that God desires deep, personal faith from you. May you go knowing that Christ has given you the template to insert yourself in, to steep yourself in, so that you might live and begin your transformation work in Jerusalem, but soon you'll find yourself in Judea and Samaria. And may you go knowing that the Holy Spirit walks with you every step along the journey. May you go in peace this week. Amen. Amen.